Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreu, and with me, speaking for the new elite, I have Hannah Fern. Good morning, Hannah. How are you? Good morning. Up and early. It's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind these early ones. Are you feeling elite enough today to guide our listeners um, through the news? <laughs> that is uh, something I never feel, but um, <laughs> hopefully, I'll come bring some elite understanding. Boom, boom. Right, Hannah. Um, the Great Prigozhin Rebellion. Let's start with that. It ended as quickly and suddenly as it started. What is our best guess on what happened? Well, it's interesting. Everyone's calling it a potential coup, but there's some of the um, the language around that I think we have to be very careful about because its aims were very unclear. But what we know is that after months of tensions and pushback over attempts from Putin to absorb Prigozhin's private military group, the Wagner Group, into the Russian army, he seems to have sort of snapped and turned his men against Putin, who he's been a long ally of. He's obviously been responsible for doing a lot of Putin's dirty work all over the globe. They were large force in Syria. They've been a really important part in the Ukraine offensive. Um, and Prigozhin's lost 20,000 men in Bakhmut, he says. It's a huge number. Um, so the aims are unclear, but the group did manage to take control, if not full um, full ownership, of Rostov-on-Don, which is a very important southern Russian uh, city close to the Ukrainian border. And they began a march uh, up to Moscow, which Prigozhin called the March on Freedom. And when they were about 125 miles from Moscow, um, obviously this is the first time we've seen anything like this uh, against Putin's leadership in, in decades a compromise agreement was made. And um, now Prigozhin was able to remain a free man, despite essentially making some attempt on, if not on power, then on destabilizing Putin. And he's been able to leave for Belarus and, and his soldiers have been able to return to their previous posts. And as I said, they're obviously doing their job, essentially propping up the Ukraine invasion. So what happens next is an interesting period, really, for the whole of Europe and global stability. Now, it's easy with all that soap opera to forget uh, sort of the real situation in Ukraine. Mm. Will this episode have a major impact on the Ukraine campaign? It's interesting. Experts are saying it's too early to tell. But because it's the first major challenge, and it's from you know, a leader who's been an ally of Putin for so long, a military leader, but whose 
significance in Ukraine has been huge. The really the the limited, relatively limited success Russia has had in key battles in the Donbass region has been down to this group. Um, so it must leave, I think, Ukrainian morale at a real high and Russian troops feeling very directionless. And that will be mm, important. Mm. Well, in fact, when he left Rostov on Don after this deal was brokered, he was cheered, which really shows the size of the issue for Putin. This isn't just about military discord. It's about humiliation and um, you know discord uh, of an order I think a lot of us assumed wasn't possible. So it must leave Ukraine very buoyed, I think. Putin's image has been undoubtedly dented with the troops, as you were saying, because they were sort of observing all of this going on in real time. Mm, yes. but, but, but is his control of the Russian media so complete that nothing penetrates the wider public sphere or was this noticed by, you know, ordinary Russians on the ground, as it were? Well, ordinary Russians in Moscow had to be told to stay indoors. There was a lockdown of sorts because of the the risk of, you know, a, a full military action in the centre of the capital. So they, they, they can't have failed to notice that. How it's been spun, of course, yeah. is a different thing. Generally, the spirit is, is very pro-Russia inside Rostov. And so the fact that he was cheered shows, I think, that despite the intense control, as you describe, over the mainstream mm. media, that the, the, the mask is slipping, really. And if people stop fearing Putin, both the military and the people, I mean, what else does he have left, I think? Yes, I think it, it's fundamental for Putin to be synonymous with Mother Russia, yes. if those two things at any point diverge, um, it, it could be an interesting time. What is next for Prigozhin, do you think? Uh, polonium tea and cakes? Um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Putin doesn't have a, a record of forgiveness, does he? People who cross Putin, as we know, have a habit of dying in unexpected and brutal circumstances. Mm. He's not necessarily safe because he's in Belarus. But interestingly, experts also aren't expecting him to go there and have a nice quiet retirement either. Um, Putin has accused him of, in his words, betrayal and treason and yeah. described it as a stab in the back of our troops and the people of Russia. So we can imagine that he might be planning um, some sort of unfortunate sort of window dropping mm. incident, but um, he is expected to still make noise. So that shows a certain, um, I, I suppose, commitment to demonstrating the failures in Putin's regime now. Now, I, I also heard a tiny bit of gossip, um, some analysts discussing on Sky, that there is intelligence that President Xi Jinping of China was also involved in brokering a deal between Putin and Prigozhin. How would you read that? I think, as you say, this is a, only sort of um, a few rumours at the moment, and there's no kind of clear reporting demonstrating that is the case. But let's say for this moment it, it, it is correct. I would say that that's all about propping up Russia as an ally and not really about Putin himself. I don't think it shows a great confidence in Putin. Mm. And the situation in Ukraine has narrowed Russia's options for cooperation globally. So China can now really put the pressure on, essentially. They haven't got any other options. So China knows that they can manipulate Russia. And getting involved in this would be a very handy way of owing big essentially. So yes. 
That's what I'd say if that turns out to be correct. But we'll, we'll yes, we'll see. I mean it, it was serious, uh, serious intelligence analysts putting mm. forward this, yes, this I, I think- idea, and 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 to me it feels like. I mean, if anything, China basically said, if there's going to be a change of leadership, sunshine, it ain't going to be you. Yes. Um, and, you know, they want someone basically in place that will at the very least honour the various agreements um, and various obligations that they that they and someone, forced on Putin. Someone that they, yes, feel is equally... Um, manipulable but i don't think that yeah. that he's clearly not that figure i mean let's not forget that one of the experts said and i thought this was really interesting that that prigozhin was a disaster waiting to happen for putin and inevitably if you essentially use illegal tactics to fight illegal wars <laughs> if you pay people to to do your dirty work this is the kind of individual that you're going to get <laughs> he's, no, he's not part of an institution that represents any um you know a, a, any government he happens to have an allyship to putin but or did um but that's it and uh, of course jinping won't want to get involved in that kind of thing yeah, um, interesting times in the Chinese sense. Um, now, on to domestic um, skip fires. Um, <laughs> Rishi Sunak over the weekend has asked people to hold their nerve on interest rates. Um, Hannah, can the problem for mortgage holders who might suddenly be asked to pay 50% more be solved by a, a plucky attitude? <laughs> I should think not. Also, who's holding their nerve here? Is it us or him? Because he was the one no who idea. came in. He's the <laughs> one who came in and promised action on all of these various things. The top one was interest rates and inflation. That was his big, big promise. And now he's telling us to hold our nerve. Well, I think sunshine. <laughs> he should look at himself. Um, might, might he be talking to the yes. the backbenches of his party? Actually? <laughs> Indeed. Um, or looking in the mirror and being very concerned, <laughs> reflecting his own fears back. But it, it's interesting because as some commentators already said over the weekend, this isn't actually, a, you know, I'm not making an original point. Lots of conservatives are going to be looking at what's happening with interest rates now and wondering why they even bothered to get rid of trust. Because the result is exactly the same. And although obviously it's ludicrous, there are some people, a significant uh, minority within the Conservative Party as it stands now, who think that, you know, we should have just felt the pain to commit to Truss's fiscal plan. So we're feeling the pain and then we don't have the plan. I mean, thank God from my perspective, but there we are. They must be worried about that. Yes. And the point is that. Uh, the the situation with trust wasn't flattening out; it was spinning out of control, which ended up with the bank having to issue gilds to calm down markets, which has an inflationary effect. Yes. At at, at yes. a point when they need to be restricting the supply of money, they they were beginning to issue gilds in order to calm the markets. Um, which would have the exactly opposite effect. So, so I, you know, I think trust fans have earned themselves a longer period of silence. <laughs> yes, than, than exactly they seem that. To think. Yes, <laughs> yes. But it doesn't mean they won't be agitating though. For you know, in the back benches for for Sunak. So Hunt's big ideas around mortgages, which uh-huh. were introduced as a result, really, of you know this panic that Sunak is having. Um, they are too small to tackle the problem. 
And all they do, so the three things that he he introduced last week were... So just for our listeners, he called in the big lenders. They had a big meeting last week and some action points came out. Yes, and the three things that have come out of that are the lenders have agreed to do some things which help homeowners in the short term if they're really feeling the pain and they can't repay. So first of all, they've introduced an agreement that they will prevent your home from being repossessed for 12 months if you can't pay in the short term. So it gives you that window of opportunity to sort things out financially for yourselves. They also would agree to consider to extend mortgages if that would help ameliorate the situation or allow customers to switch to an interest-only agreement for a period of time, which obviously eases the monthly burden. But none of this actually makes anything easier on the consumer in the long term, and particularly mortgage extension. Everybody in that meeting will fully understand the current mortgage market because they're experts. But what what makes me fear that this entire package is simply about how people feel, how the electorate feels, and not actually about the financial health of homeowners, mm-hmm. is that it ignores the fact, which all these experts would know, is that extremely long mortgages are already very common. So 30-year repayment terms are now absolutely the norm for first-time buyers. Um, 35 and 40 years are becoming very common. We're already lending regularly up to age 70, and some lenders will now lend to age 75. So if you extend that mortgage, what exactly are you doing? You're extending it into late retirement. It's really not a proper solution. But what is unsaid about all of this and people forget it's very easy to forget if you're one of the millions of people with a mortgage right now feeling worried is that the majority of homeowners in britain i think it's around 60 percent. i'd have to double check own without a mortgage so most homeowners do not have a mortgage and so this is reflecting what people want to hear particularly if they're conservative voters and it doesn't actually affect them. For those who Mm. are already sitting on a 35-term mortgage, being told to extend it is not a solution. The other point that I have rarely heard over the last um, 10 days is that in precisely the reverse situations um, 15 years ago, basically the public were told to bear the burden of banks doing badly Absolutely. in the financial crisis and mm-hmm. and you know the state basically had to underwrite all those loans but now we seem to be going cap in hand to those same institutions and saying is there anything you can do about it i think solidarity must go both ways this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
Sunak also says we need to hold our nerve on NHS waiting lists, promising a sort of jam tomorrow, um, trademark Ros Taylor, um, staffing plan. But waiting lists are at record levels. Junior doctors and consultants have more strikes coming up in the immediate future. We're expecting a result of a nurse's ballot this week on more Mm. strikes. I mean, will this even make a dent before the election? Or is it basically a a, a teenager just shouting, all right, mum, I'm doing it from their bedroom? (laughs) Yes, it's too late, I think. It's too late to see any real action turning around an institution of the size of the NHS with the level of investment necessary. It's a long, long long-term project. And even Starmer's team are going to be worried about whether they can make any dent in it in four to five years. So I think, yeah, it's definitely jam tomorrow, as you said. But this is another one where I think he's missed the mood of the country in talking about holding your nerve because the people are fully behind the doctors and nurses and their strikes they are desperate for the surgery that they've been waiting a long time for and that the pandemic um, forced them to wait longer for. And actually, comparing it to the mortgage crisis and inflation, this hits far more people than the mortgage crisis for that exactly that reason that I said. Most homeowners don't have a mortgage. You know, A lot of people rent. Everybody has some engagement with the NHS, and most families have at least one person who they know is waiting for something. There are now 7 million people on the waiting list huge number so yes it's i think he's really missed the mood on this one and this is this is the one that will undo the conservatives at the general election and partly because they linked it so closely to brexit so that's that's their own fault in the in the in the pro-brexit campaign i I remember those videos of how wonderful the nhs was going to be post-brexit um and another related development, suddenly, apparently, the recommendations of pay review bodies are not sacred, they're mere suggestions. Um, <laughs> can the government really get away with such blatant double standards after a year of saying at every interview that they wouldn't pay people properly because they were following pay review body uh, recommendations? Well, exactly. And additionally, do you think we should remind them that the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, or IPSA, is an independent pay review body? (laughs) And essentially, you know, none of them have ever come out to say that they think IPSA is wrong and that they should hand back some of their salary to the public purse. So, yeah, it's not just a suggestion. No, these these um, these review bodies are, are carrying out a careful consideration that reflects a huge amount of expertise and understanding of those professions. And the language of suggestion is so dismissive of that work as a starting point. Um, that language is, is the indicator to me. It's like you can just take and leave what you want because you know you're gone soon anyway. I think that's it. It's, it's refusing yeah. to make any commitments because it's all over. The gap between the Tories and Labour is reopening in the, in it the is, opinion yeah. polls. I mean, this is n- no longer a few polls here and there. There is a movement that's reflected across almost every single one. Some polls are now putting the Labour lead at over 20 points again, 22 mm. points I saw over the weekend. Now, we have between three and five by-elections coming up, and um, probably five. Uh, note for listeners, Doris has now officially missed the deadline to be included in the same round of uh, by-elections before the summer break. So <laughs> what a farce. <laughs> it, it, I know. Um, 
But we think we do have five of them coming up. Can the result in those five by-elections be so catastrophic that it forces Sunak or his party to action of some sort, an early election, a rebellion, I don't know? I think an early election is unlikely, unfortunately, unfortunately. I think it is going to be a slow fizzle out. These by-elections will be instructive, and I think they will be pretty devastating, although perhaps not quite by the 20-point margin that the national polls show. Well, they're not that kind of seat, actually. Exactly that. Only one of them is that kind of seat. It might be tempting to look for those kind of overwhelming switches, but but it won't be that. It'll be much more closely fought. And I suppose the question we're left with, if it is a slow run-up, is is Starmer a better sprinter or marathon runner? Because we're going to find out. And I, I'm not entirely sure I want to know the answer because at the moment, it's the, what's driving this 20-point lead for Labour is almost all Conservative cock-up. Um, and there are going to have to be some Labour wins now in the next few months. We need to see it. So, you know, we're not the other guys. Mike get Starmer over the line, but it doesn't actually foster that kind of goodwill and positivity that means things really get done in government. There tends to be, if you think of the, you know, the big... It doesn't generate a mandate. Right, (laughs) exactly. That's the word. Because Starmer doesn't just need to win the election. He doesn't just need to get into government. He needs a mandate with people behind, you know, a, a slate of policies. And we don't really have that yet, although there are some policies beginning to emerge. Now, Labour seemed to vex a lot of its people by by announcing an all-male, all-white list of candidates for those possible five by-elections. Mm. Was this an unfortunate fluke? Is there a big underlying problem? I think it's a bit of both. So I think it probably is an unfortunate <laughs> fluke because you can only stand the people who want to stand in those areas. And one of the reasons we never have enough women to stand in any of these areas is partly because of the nature of the underlying problem. And I just bring up the example of Stella Creasy. I know it was a while ago now, but it sticks in my mind. There was an absolute outcry when she brought her baby. He was completely silent. He was about three months old and she couldn't leave, breastfed baby, into the chamber because the rules meant she couldn't actually have any proper maternity cover. So in order to actually represent her constituents on a very significant debate and vote, she had to come in. So, I mean, of course, that's not attractive, not just to, I think, younger women, but women in midlife and older who just don't want to be seen propping up those kind of structures. So I think it's an issue. And until yes, all of I mean, that is sorted out. I uh, mean, especially especially when it seems to be based on nothing other than a sort of, you know, middle-aged men's fear of a boob. I, that's exactly what it is. Or... Oh, good Lord, what if we hear a tiny cry before it's, before someone ushers the baby out? I can't possibly cope with that. I mean, honestly, it frustrates me beyond belief. But that's it's that culture. There's, people don't stand because they can't be bothered to get involved with all of that. And I fully understand the reasons for it. Now, love, this is a lovely segue to look at the week ahead in Westminster briefly. Um, it looks to be a relatively quiet one in the Commons, although nowadays who knows what will happen by Tuesday. Um, but it's an interesting one in the increasingly exciting House of Lords. What's going on? Well, it's, this is really interesting. So we've got um, issues like national security have been going back and forth to the House of Lords. We've now got yeah. a migration bill coming back. and. The House of Lords are basically a, a voice of sanity in, in this. 
um, the only people who seem to think it's right to take a moral pause and really think about the implications of that bill. And thank God for that, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so shocking. You know, the question is, do we think that they are becoming emboldened, I suppose, by yes. Sunak's failures and the Home Office failures, not just Sunak, the whole administration. And but his I, weak I, mandate, I mm, think. Yeah. You know, the, I, I think the House of Lords would have a different attitude to a, a, a government that sort of feels like it is popular out there in the country, led by the person that actually got them to victory. I, I think all, all of this feels like the lower chamber is kind of unelected at the moment as well. So they might as they might as well might have as a well go do at it. Them. Yeah. Well, I do think there's there's a lot of that, but I also think there's some of the impact is the kind of the other way round, because their integrity exposes his weakness, and that makes him weaker. So it's it's not just that they're emboldened by his uh, lack of power, strength, and control over his own government and the country. It's also that they are showing some genuine moral integrity, and it it exposes just how vacuous the government is that it doesn't actually have any moral core at the moment certainly on Mm. issues around migration and immigration it's phenomenal really um that we are turning to what you might have historically considered the most conservative chamber in the west (laughs) in in the western democracy and it's it's become borderline radical but thank goodness now back home in greece um we had our second election in a month, and as much as I would enjoy making you pronounce all the names, um, would you like me to tell you about Yes, you tell me about this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Um, uh, basically, the, the new democracy, the equivalent of the Tories um, here, had a massive victory, um, despite really having been plagued by some major scandals in the last year, including wiretapping, phones of high-ranking officials, of politicians, of opposition politicians, of even their own ministers, despite that awful train crash which revealed a huge problem with security on our public transport. Um, they have basically increased their majority. They, they've, they've secured 158 MPs out of 300, which is actually a bit of a landslide in Greece. Um, We tend to get coalitions. It's very rare to get an absolute majority. Um, Syriza, the the left-wing party, its vote has pretty much collapsed. I think uh, there are real questions about its leader, Alexis Tsipras's future, so that will be decided, I imagine, in a in a general uh, synod of the party's instruments in the next few days. And most worrying of all, there's a, the re-emergence of the far right. Three um, far right parties of different flavors, between them have about 12% of the vote. It's not a massive amount, but, but you know, considering um, Greece's brush with a far right a few years ago it is wearing i read that one of those those parties was born almost directly out of the 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 banning of golden dawn is is that right yes it it has the backing of um the unofficial uh, sort of remaining leader of golden dawn i mean personally i find uh, you know another one of those three um 
even more worrying. It's called, so the party you refer to is called the Spartans. Um, the, the party I'm referring to is, is Eliniki Lisi, which is Greek solution, which is basically a party of Greek Orthodox priests. Gosh. I mean, proper religious theocratic um, mm. situation. So, yeah, not great. Um, I mean, at, at the very least, I would say that the right-wing party that has been elected is technocratic. But mm. it's just worrying that that there is disarray to the left of it now and beginning to re-emerge challenges to the right of it. Um, because new democracy is already pretty right-wing and the, the notion of it being dragged further to the right is really quite a worrying one. Absolutely. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, what else? The four big supermarkets are in front of the Commons Business Select Committee on Tuesday, so um, greedflation will come up again. Let's hope they actually talk about Brexit there, hey? <laughs> because they seem to shy away from that. Will they, like banks, just be asked to play nicer, I wonder? <laughs> um, what else? Uh, did you enjoy Johnson's latest scintillating male mas masterpiece at around 20 grand per column? Does it seem A like good value? titanically predictable rant you might say <laughs> so he was writing about the titanic uh sub explorers their sad demise um it was rant at lefties in inverted commas when actually he was just making an obvious point about this being you know a heroic endeavor and how sad that it ended like this I mean, of course, he's a great writer. Okay, look, as a journalist, yes, I think he does turn out a pretty good quality column. But the problem I for thought, the male I, I, have to, I have to disagree. I thought his prose was has been shit in the last two <laughs> columns. Actually, I, 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 I would encourage people to go and have a look at them. It well, here's, really yeah, is not. I mean, do, but I mean, I, so maybe we're comparing against different things. Okay, I, I used to be comment editor of the Independent, and let me tell you, a lot of what came in, even from some quite significant names, was, okay. <laughs> needed a lot of work. But I would say that um, that the thing is, he, he, he's not saying anything interesting or useful to the male. They're spending a huge amount of money on him, but he's basically just another Jan Moyer now. Why is he writing yeah. about these things? People surely want to hear insider stuff from him or something that you feel like you can't read from anybody else. But while he, you know, we may debate whether it's good writing or not, he's simply churning out what any, you know, reasonably good quality national columnist should be able to do. Why yeah. Why are we paying him for that? I have no he's idea. Just, he's just marking time, I think, Hannah, because um, it, it will be either two or three columns that they've agreed will be um, sort of on unrelated anodyne subjects. And I think Until either next rip. week or the week <laughs> after that, yes, he will. he will start firing... Um, well, into uh, Sunak's government. I, 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 I get that sense. I get. I, I said it actually before even his first one came out. I said it will be two or three completely anodyne columns, and then he will um, turn his fire onto the government. Anyway, um, watch. yeah. Finally, in comedy news, Kemi Badenoch has ordered an investigation into the entirely confected cat pupil story. Do you even want to comment on it? I do, because I think this is 
depressingly <laughs> clever move. Obviously, it's mental. So, of course, no one's identifying as a cat. And if I was to find anything in this school, the only thing they're going to find is potentially some children with special educational needs, maybe autism spectrum disorders, who essentially are having positive compensations so that they can be equal in school. And don't forget, equality is not the same as equity. And equity is what you should look for in school so that everyone has an equal chance to succeed. And that is the sort of thing that ends up with these nonsense stories about identifying as a cat. But she knows what she's doing because I'm afraid to tell you I've been on Mumsnet. Actually, I don't like the way that site is always um, is labelled as, you know, transphobic and this, that and the other, because it's just a bunch of women sharing their experiences. And inevitably, that means that the site represents the great diversity of female experience and opinion in the UK. I can tell you from looking at that site that a lot of women with secondary age children do believe what they're reading about this and are very worried about it. And that is why she's been clever to send this Ofsted inspector in, because this is a headline that will do really well for her, even though it's nonsense. And I find depressing. that utterly depressing, but, it, but there utterly we are. Utterly depressing. And that's it for today. I'll leave you on that I, positive note. <laughs> leave you, leaving you that depressing note, I anoint you fully prepared to start your week. If you enjoyed it, remember to tune in for another bunker tomorrow, and you can support our getting up at 6 a.m. to do this for as little as £3 a month on the funding platform Patreon. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you very much. And thanks to you for listening to Start Your Week. Have a good one. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Start Your Week with The Bunker was written and presented by Alex Andreu and Hannah Fern. The producer was Liam Tate, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.